Good morning, everybody. Very well. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 1 in a moment. We'll put it up on the screen. These, uh, these few weeks leading up to and through Christmas, we're challenging you in this series to don't miss Christmas. How many of you, you like some Christmas? It's like, it really is your favorite time of year. Now, we've done the series Holiday Hang-Ups, and we've addressed some of the hurt, what it's like to be stressed, lonely, and afraid. And we look today at this idea of not missing Christmas. I have a 15-year-old daughter. You can look at her now. She's on the front row in all of her radiance and glory. We love our Haley, and Haley loves Christmas. Now, you may love Christmas. You might love Christmas as much as Haley, but not more than her, trust me. And every year around Halloween, Haley looks at her mom and I, mostly her mom, and says, all right, let's decorate for Christmas. And by November 3rd and 4th, because her parents have a tendency to procrastinate, she grows frustrated. And this year, like November 5th, she's like, I've had enough. And she went and got her own Christmas tree and her own lights and just decorated her room so festive, weeks ahead of us. But she loves some Christmas and doesn't want to miss it. This morning, I want to talk to us about this very idea of what, it, what matters, the meaning of it all, and how it can impact your interior life, who you really are. Years ago, I'll never forget this, I was on a flight next to a family that was very frazzled that had two kids. And I mean, these kids were restless, reckless, rambunctious, rowdy. They made a mess. They made noise. And by the end of the flight, you could look on the floor down by our feet, and there were sippy cups and goldfish and crushed up shredded weed and who knows what down on the floor. It was just a mess. And one, uh, there was a, a man across the aisle who spoke into the situation. He looked at this couple, to this man and woman, and he said, you know, I wish I would have had two kids. It was just silent. The adults were silent anyway. And our hearts hurt, and the woman spoke into the silence, and she said to this man, I'm sorry. Did you and your wife, did you, you, you tried, you were unable to have kids? He said, oh no, we had five. I just wish we'd had two. <laughs> it is kids, isn't it? It's kids that make this season so magical. A tiny tots, what? Finish it. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow. They find it hard to sleep tonight. Somebody once said that, God, that kids are God's channel of joy into the world. I believe it. I believe it because I hang out with too many of you adults too often, right? To just the beauty of these tiny tots, their eyes all aglow. Have you ever seen a little baby girl discover her hand for the first time or a little boy blow a bubble or inspect a strange bug? Have you ever noticed a child's glee at a beach as a, as a kite dances in the wind or walked outside with a toddler and heard him say, look, the moon. It is not so much the activity that brings the joy, it's the wonder associated with that activity. Isaiah 9, the, the major prophet Isaiah, foretelling the coming of the Messiah, he says, for unto us a child is born. Consider some scripture here in rapid succession. I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A little child will lead them. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 
Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Children, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, finding it hard to sleep. What virtues come to mind when you think of those little munchkins? Simplicity, joy, and trust, and peace, imagination, celebration, spontaneity, curiosity, creativity. The things that we admire most in life are ushered in through the eyes and the hearts, the hands and the feet of little ones. I want you to keep that in mind as we read from our passage today, John chapter 1. John 1 verses 1 through 12. In the beginning, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. And as we consider this, we have in our series Holiday Hang-Ups, we've looked at the way, the wisdom, the words of Jesus through three other gospel writers. We talked to people who are stressed, and we looked at Matthew 11, when Jesus said, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We talked about being lonely. We looked at Luke's gospel, where it gives us an example of Jesus who often withdrew to lonely places. And we looked at Mark's gospel last week when we talked about being afraid. And we looked at that story in Mark 4 of Jesus and the disciples in the boat. He had a pillow and they had life jackets. And we looked at this idea of being afraid. We've looked at the various gospel writers. Today we consider John. So let's consider the author, John, because John probably tricked you. For all those who are not so educated or maybe uninitiated, you, you, you're probably thrown off a little bit. This is John, and then John is talking about Jesus, those first three verses. Then he talks about John, another John. That's John the Baptist, the crazy guy that uh, ate the honey and had, wore the funny shoes and the locusts and the camel and all that. That crazy John, right? The, the forerunner, the trailblazer to Jesus. Well, tell me, preacher, about John. Let me give you a little bit on the authorship here because it's important to know who wrote this. You ever gotten a text And you look at your phone and they're not in your contacts. And it's just a number, not a name. And it says, hey, hey, thinking about you, uh, let's connect. How's it going? Hey, can you grab coffee at Cups today? Three, four, five o'clock, are you free? Now, if it's just a number, not a name, what do you do? You're thinking, you got to tell them that you got a new phone, right? So they're, yeah. But you you look at your phone and you're thinking, how's it going? Who, Who are you? And whether or not you meet them at three or four or five at cups or nine or not at all depends on who the author is, right? Who is it? You've got to find out who it is. This is John, a Galilean fisherman. And this fisherman became a friend. This fisherman became a follower. This follower, this friend, this Galilean fisherman became an apostle. 
he became a pastor. And he was in Jesus' inner circle. Jesus often had crowds around him. I guess that's going to be true if you're most most compelling person in human history. Jesus often had crowds around him, but then he had a community. And within that community, he had 12. And within that 12, he had three. And even within that three, according to some passages, there was one who was super special, and it is this man, John. John is the author, the very dear, close personal friend of Jesus. Who's the audience? Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. Mark wrote to Gentile believers. Luke was a doctor. Luke gave us a well-ordered historical account of Jesus. So you have divine inspiration, but you also have human authorship. And in this, you see, for example, like Luke, because he was a doctor, he talks about God being what? The great physician. In Luke, that's the, the account, the gospel account that says, hey, he didn't, Jesus didn't come for those who are well. He came for those who are sick, for us to know that we need him. That's Luke. He's a doctor. And John was a close friend. John was the disciple that loved. We need some love, don't we? We need some love. And for three weeks, considering holiday hang-ups, we need some joy and we need some love. And so I give you John. And John is writing uh, later. Now, his, um, his writing occurred much later than the others. Mark wrote his account first, then Luke, and then Matthew. And those were written some 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. John wrote his in about 55 years later. He did not write saying, oh, I'm going to contradict what they wrote or it wasn't good enough. He wrote to give a supplement The church was flourishing, it had exploded, but it was coming up against Roman persecution. And John writes about the humanity and divinity, the deity of Jesus. And he says, here is who he is. Some have said, some have leveled the charge that these are different accounts. And therefore, they're in some minor ways contradictory. I would say no. Here's an example. We only have a a few minutes and you would fall asleep if I got too technical or, or scholarly. I'm, I'm neither, by the way. But let's just say that uh, you and a few friends go to see a movie. And after the movie, you sit down with another friend. And that friend asks you, tell me about the Guardian of the Galaxy. What, tell me about that movie. And one of you talks about the humor in the movie. Another of you talks about the action sequence. Another talks about the soundtrack and the musical underscore. That person, talking to the four of you, would not say, you're all giving me different contradictory things. That person would say, thank you. Each of you are telling me what you heard, what you saw, what you experienced. You're giving me different perspectives and therefore a fuller meaning of the movie. And that's what we have in the gospel accounts. Now, John writes, as I said, with a clear purpose. In fact, There is a passage that was the passage that I entered into the kingdom myself when I was a teenager and I prayed the prayer of salvation. John 20, 31, this is his purpose of the whole book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love that. He's not just testifying. He said, but hey, there's a reason. I believe, but this is written so that you might believe. So back up to John 1 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become what? To become children of God. This caught on. This idea of God being our father. This idea of God incarnate coming into the world as a child and leading as a child and looking to the children and saying, suffer them not. Don't hinder them to come to me. In fact, how bold and brazen to look at the religious crowd and say, unless you are like this, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are like a child. And that took root and that bore fruit. That became a movement like no other movement. And later, in a town called Ephesus, these words were written about being children of God, children of light. Follow God's example. Some of your versions say, be imitators of Jesus. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be like him. There's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of doom and gloom about the church today. There's a lot of people writing articles about its demise and how the world is changing so fast the church is done. I don't believe that's true. I stand on the promise when Jesus looked at Peter and said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But I do know, because I'm in the middle of the battle, I do know that the church is having to define and redefine what it really means to follow. And what we can't get wrong is this. To be imitators of God. But look what's next in Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because they're improper. These are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse je- je- joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. If Paul were to write that today, he would say, no locker room talk. Right? Now that'll preach. Ephesians is six chapters. The first three chapters are written in the indicative tense. The final three chapters are written in the imperative tense. In other words, chapters one, two, or three tells us about what God has done for us. Uh, Chapters four, five, and six tell us how we, his people, ought to be. Who we should become. These things are rampant in the world today. Have you noticed? These things that don't bring light, in fact, they bring darkness. They darken our hearts. They hurt our relationships. They set us way back. They are in abundant supply today. And so the question, the question is, how do we live? There are some options for us. One is to judge. One is to call those things out and call those people out. And get angry about it and get isolated from it and to judge. When Tim Tebow and the Denver Broncos played the Pittsburgh Steelers a few years ago in a first round playoff game, Tim wrote on his eye and under his eye, John 3.16. And it rendered millions of Google searches. People saying, what does John 3.16 say? 
The most popular passage in all of Scripture now is not John 3.16. It's Matthew 7.1 that says, do not judge. Because if you judge, it's going to be returned to you. In fact, Jesus uses some humor. We need some humor. Religious people need humor, right? And Jesus said, hey, you're, you're, you're worried about the speck in other people's eyes and you're ignoring the plank in your own. You and I, we're ugly when we judge. But all this going on, all this happening, how are we to live? There, there's, it's easy for us to say, this is the way I'm going to live. Look, at there's the verse. God doesn't approve of it, and I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to call those people out. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to judge. There's another option, and it's on the other extreme. And, it, and we tend to think that there are only these two extremes. We're either judging the world or we're joining them. We're judging or we're joining. And here you live an insular life. Here you withdraw. You fight some battles on social media. You share your opinions and bring others down. But what I've learned over time, and this is fraught with misunderstanding, but I hope you'll hear me and give me the benefit of the doubt here. But what I've learned over time is if someone doesn't believe, I shouldn't expect their behavior to be like mine. Do you know that sin is par for the course? Do you know there's really not a lot of scripture, in fact, find one where it talks about us judging the world. In fact, John would say in John 16, the spirit has come into the world to judge the world, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. Who convicts? Who convicts? You? No. You can judge. Many of us do. Or you can join. And you just say, that's locker room talk. That's what fellows do. Coaches, teachers, dads, dads. I hope during this political cycle, if you have young men in your house, you brought them close to you and you told them, that's not how we talk. To talk about women, no, 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 that's not how we talk. That's not how we look at them. That's not how we treat them. There's no place for that here. We just join. Some of you may be, you're tired. You're trying the Jesus way of life, and it seems like you're just such a minority, such a, in some ways, persecuted majority, minority, and it's just hard to swim upstream. It's just easy to be a dead fish floating downstream and just say, I'm just going to join it. I'm just going to be like the world. In fact, I'm going to let my light shine by just being like people. Two extremes, neither one fit for the follower of Jesus. There is a way. It's the Jesus way. It's the way of joy. It's to shine as children of light. Look at Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For you were once darkness. Careful. Careful how you judge. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of life consists what? In all goodness and righteousness and truth. And here is the goodness and the righteousness and the truth. John 20, 31, I'm teaching you these things, right? I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hannah, our friend, if you were here last Sunday, Hannah got in the baptism waters and made her confession of believing in Jesus. And Jesus in John, John 15, Jesus John gives this account of Jesus saying to the disciples, I'm teaching you these things and I'm teaching you these things so that you would have joy and your joy would be full and it would be complete. There's a different way. 
There's a different way for the follower of Jesus. We're not called to judge. We're not called to join. There's a, there's a different way. Now, I like challenges, intellectual challenges to the faith. I like to sit down with somebody uh, who's smart, intelligent, and talk about the non-contradictions and beauty and symmetry and unity of four Gospels. I love I relish that. But what I don't do today is act like there haven't been times in our history as a church, as the church, where, there, where the light hasn't had a dimmer switch. There have been dark ages in the history of the church. And I want to say today that we really can't afford to get this wrong. Rodney Stark is a brilliant Baylor historian. He's done great research, very respected researcher and writer on history. And he talks about the second and third century of the explosive growth of the church. And his account, it says it's very clear that the church in the second and third century, it was righteousness and peace and goodness. There were joy followers and they, they were different. They stood out. They didn't want to just join But there was so little judgment and they loved kids. In the second and third century, the church loved kids. The kids that were orphaned and forgotten. The cities that people had withdrew from because of the hatred and hostility and the plagues and the problems. The little Christ followers, the the people of the way went in. The church rushed into where the problems were. We're not joining, we're not judging. As children of the light with joy, as carriers of peace and righteousness and goodness, we're going to go in. There's a history, 700-year history, known as the Dark Ages. And in the Dark Ages, the church gathered in religious assemblies, and they discussed the indicative tense of biblical truth. They discussed who God is, but they lost sight of the imperative tense of who God has called us to be. And in those dark ages, the church gave up on cities and children and going toward needs. And illiteracy rose and disease spread and war raged. The dark ages when the church did not shine its light brightly. So here we are today. In the midst of a lot of darkness. Years ago, when I was single and I lived in Florida, I signed up for this police officer ride-along program. Now, my friend on the second row up here, Charles Waterloo, I saw he did this locally in Jackson just a couple of months ago. I'm standing out in my front yard talking to some neighbors. Here comes a Jackson police car, and Charles Waterloo is right there with the officer. I'm like, I knew this would happen. I knew it would happen Police officer arrests Charles for all the things he's done wrong and brings him to his preacher's house to shame him. It was just a pathetic sight. And then it occurred to me, I was trying to convince Charles, hey, I've done this. I know what you're doing. This is awesome. I did this so long ago. But you can sign up for this ride-along program. And when I say sign up, I mean sign up. You have to have no criminal record. That's always good. You can't be wanted by local, state, or federal authorities in any way. And you sign your rights over. You take on this waiver and you say, hey, anything that happens in the line of duty, riding along with this police officer, it's on me. And in Florida, those years ago as a single man, I rode along with this officer. We started late afternoon. We we went through the night and into the morning. That was his shift. And I was with him during his shift. And the daytime, honestly, was boring and nondescript. There was one point on Appalachian Parkway. I said, yeah, let's, 
let's just pull over here and give some tickets. That'd be fun. So he let me pick who we would pull over. <laughs> felt, I felt so God-like, you know. But listen, y'all, when the sun went down, there was like an s- evil switch that was turned on. What is it about nighttime and darkness? Now, some of you leave your offices or your cubicles and you head home and it's all, it's a cocoon, right? It's safety, but not our law enforcement, not our women and men who serve. Thank you, by the way, our law enforcement. They're on the front lines, truly. But at night, this switch just went on. And I'm talking robberies and drug deals and prostitution and DUIs and fights. We actually came upon a fight where a few women were roughing up a dude. And it was, I just sat in the front seat. I was freaking out, man, just freaking out. I vowed that day to marry a very feminine woman, someone I'm bigger than, that I could take. Man, it just freaked me out. It freaked me out to see all of that. I thought of a few thoughts I want to share them with you today in this world of darkness. The first is every criminal was once a child. Secondly, the sky isn't falling, but the ground is shifting. Look, I don't want you to be an alarmist. I want you to be a realist. The sky isn't falling, but the ground is shifting. And hear me, church. The American family is busted and busy. And we have more neglected children in the world today than ever. And here's the thing about kids. We're talking about them today. Kids cannot be left alone to figure out life for themselves. Years ago when our church was next door at Dueling. I had an office there. If you know the building next door here. There's an interior design place. Joan Hawkins has a place there. And that's where my office was for a couple of years when our church met in the auditorium. And one day, I was standing there talking to somebody. And a young boy from West Fondren, a young man, walked in. He was trembling and he was shaking. It was just a unique experience. I'm trying to stand on this stage under these bright lights and convey this to you now. And I don't know if you're going to get it or if I'm going to do a good job here. But try. Try to put yourself in my shoes. I just see this young man walking toward me and he's trembling. And I looked behind him. I'd gone, he'd gone from my peripheral to my direct line of sight. And I, I started neglecting the person I was talking to. And I just locked on him like a tractor beam, he and I. And as he's walking toward me, there's this confusion and overflow of emotion. But he's trying to hold it in. And he's a muscular young man walking toward me. And it's like this mixture of like sadness and anger. And as he's walking t- toward me, I see, I see the security guy behind him. And in a moment, I've got a fast brain, and sometimes that serves me well. But in a moment, I realize, hey, I've been telling these kids they can come to Fondra Church anytime they want to. But guess what? We didn't own the building. I couldn't tell people that. But security was like, hey, you need to scram. You need to get your bike that you're parking, and y'all need to go. You're trouble. You need to go. And some type of altercation occurred. And this young man that was walking to me didn't have a dad. He didn't have parents. And he wanted to express his rage. And can I tell you? That kids are built. They cannot interpret life on their own and they need direction. They need an adult to help them process their fear, their loneliness, and their anger. 
and coming to me that day was a young man that broke my heart. Kids need to process. Kids need a positive environment. I remember a few years ago joining with some Fondren Church friends. A small group invited me. I was the tag along. And they said, we're going to the Powell's house, foster care down the street on State Street. We're going to grab some kids. We're going to take them to the Mississippi Braves game. Chick-fil-A had donated their box and there was going to be free food and fun. We're going to take the kids because they need it. And I did. Now, let me be honest and take this the right way. I don't get that excited to go to a Mississippi Braves game. If I go, it's because you invite me or there's stunts, right? I get to put on a sumo suit and wrestle in the seventh inning or something like that, right? All the gimmicks and the stunts or the corporate box. That's cool. But if I go to a Mississippi Braves game, I don't rave about it. I don't post it on Twitter or anything. It's not that big a deal. Please take that the right way. But we were driving home. And this young kid who had nobody to love on him, who never gets out of his negativity, said aloud, man, thank you. And I needed something positive. Never before, in the darkness of this world, when our light needs to shine the way Jesus wants it to shine, never before is the need greater. I won't drop statistics on you. I don't think you need them. But there have never been more neglected children than today. I know a man who emailed me a few weeks ago. This is what keeps preachers going. He emailed me. He said, hey, Robert, that series on enough. He goes, well, I'm going to tithe. He goes, I've been resisting you for a couple of years, but I'm going to start tithing. I'm like, yes, at least one of you. <laughs> but he's not rich, so. <laughs> but he said, okay, you, you got my tithe. I'm, I'm going to test the Lord in this. And you got my, you know, I trust Fondren Church. I see what you do. I see how much you give away. I trust you. You got my tithe, but not my offerings. I said, okay, we'll take your tithes, you know. But you know what he did? Because God's just breaking his heart about generosity. He called a local school to find out if there were any students who had an unpaid balance on their school lunch account. And he paid it off. I know a woman, not like I know this guy, I know of this woman. She's working with girls who don't have families. They're a mess. She said, I'm working with them. They're a mess. But you know what? I'm a mess. And there are times where she has wanted to quit because it doesn't seem like she's doing any good. She doesn't want them to hang out with the bad guys. She didn't want them to lose their virginity at 13 and 14 and 15 years old. She didn't want them to end up as teenagers, pregnant, as babies, making babies. She is now currently walking with them on modesty. She has this saying that followers of Jesus, we need to live G-rated lives in an R-rated world. Here's her modesty challenge to these girls. Modesty challenge number one, if you have a problem getting your clothes on or off, you probably need to change what you're wearing. Modesty challenge number two, if you have a hard time sitting down or standing up, you probably need to change what you are wearing. 
Modesty challenge number three. If boys look at a different part of your body other than your face, you probably need to change what you are wearing. That's not legalistic. And that's not oppressive. That's biblical. That's Titus 2. Older women instruct younger women. And that leads to freedom. And there is darkness in this world. But can I tell you, when we say, I'm not going to join them, I'm going to be different. But when we do it with joy, that gives us a platform to do some of the, because some of you are judgy, right? You're just judgy. You don't even like this point. You don't like this lamp. Because I talked about you not judging. You're judging me now. But you're just too judgy. But you would have so much freedom if your life stood out more than it does and you walked as children of light. Because children of light and love get this platform. Because if you notice this about love, John said it in John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. People want to be around people who love other people. Every single time. What about you? What's your dining room table been like the last few months? Just you? You and a friend? You and your family? Anybody different? Anybody of different color? Anybody from a different socioeconomic background? What about that spare bedroom? What about that basement? What about foster care? What about joining 450 kids on Wednesday night in our gym to throw a party? They've had a party in Madison County. They've had a party in Rankin County. I did that wrong. Rankin County, Madison County. But they've never had a party in Hines County, and we get to host it Thursday. What about that? Or what about, what about coming around some families that are fostering kids? Philippians 2, 14 and 15. I'm going to close. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Men, are you married? Love your wife. Love your wife. Live with her and love her. And you'll be different. Parents, are you raising kids? They can't be left alone. Discipline them. Don't hurt them. Don't bring the pain. Don't take your anger out on them. Fathers, don't take your anger out on them. But discipline them and put them on the path to life. And you will stand out and you will be different. And instead of Thanksgiving with you and your family every single year, what if you did what a friend of mine did just a few weeks ago and invited some misfits? And here's what's cool about it. They knew they were misfits. He said, you're you're misfits. Come over. We got room around our dining room table for misfits this Thanksgiving. You and I live this way. And we'll stand out. Because it's dark. And I pray that it would be the light of our love that would shine.
Let's pray.